Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because Party of Redemption, your table is now ready. Well, hello everybody. It is uh, my joy today to be sitting at Redemption's table in a very special place. As a matter of fact, this is like a dream podcast, because when God <laughs> laid this idea upon my heart about uh, 10 months ago, this was one of my original thoughts. I thought, wow, I want to eat at good places, sit down with some good friends, and I am with one of my best friends today, uh, dear friend, Denby Cherry. Welcome to the table, man. Thanks, my brother. Good to, good to see you. Good to be here. Yeah, you live about 10, 12 miles away from the number one barbecue joint in the entire state of Texas, often City Market. That's basically why we moved there. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not true, but I would put this place up against any place in Texas. Outstanding. Bar, bar none. What's your favorite part about it? I mean, we, we one of the things with this podcast, I wanted to talk about the food at the table. Don't always do that, but man, it's hard to not talk about the food today because it's just so good. Well, their barbecue is good across the board. Everything they have is great, but their sausage, to me... Their sausage is better than any sausage you'll ever have, ever, anywhere. I put it up against anything in the world. It's just it's incredible. It's, yeah. If you've never had it, I can't really describe it to you in words. You need to come to Luling, Texas. Come visit me and my wife. Come stay with us. We'll bring you there, and you'll be converted to City Market. You will. Bring cash. Yeah, bring cash. Yeah, they're old school. They're. Uh, it's funny because they're... Like, if you call this place, mm -hmm. it's a payphone that rings. Like, their phone <laughs> is a payphone. <laughs> so they're, you know, they're kind of a throwback, you know, cash only. Good old, tiny little town right across from a uh, railroad track, this, this restaurant. So it's, it's just one of those, you feel like you step back in time here, kind of. But it's awesome yeah. because the food's great. They run out of food every day. Yeah. So. We came early. We got here at 10.30. Yeah, who eats barbecue at 10.30 in the morning? Yeah, on a Saturday. <laughs> and when we got here... Let, let me tell you who eats that kind of barbecue at 10.30 in the morning. People who've had City Market before, they're like, yeah, I'll go eat that for yeah. breakfast. No, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> and I agree with you about the sausage. It's my favorite sausage, yeah, it's bar awesome. none, anywhere. Uh, so, pleasure to have you Thanks, here. You're dear, dear friend, and uh, so many things I could say about you, but I want to jump into the conversation because you have a redemption story. You have uh, how redemption has flavored your journey. Uh, I know you as this incredible musician, and you are this incredible songwriter, and we'll talk a little bit about that a little, 
uh, incredible worship leader. You and I have had the opportunity to serve in various places. Uh, I used to do revivals and renewal conferences and that sort of thing. And whenever somebody would ask me, uh, who would you bring in to lead worship? I have a, a very short list of three guys, uh, two main guys I work with, and there's a third guy on that list. But you're one of the two main guys, and we've served in so many different places. And yet, in your you lead worship, you've just come off a busy camp schedule where you, you lead worship every su summer. There was a situation early on in your life uh, where you and a family member, this was almost derailed before it ever had a chance to begin. And so pick up on that, share your story. Okay, well I will. Well thank you for that intro, it's kind of humbling. Uh, it's very humbling, but um, grateful to be here. Uh, with you, my brother, and I echo all those things. I love any chance we've had to serve together, and uh, like you said, we got to do a lot of ministry together, and just some of my best memories, absolute best memories. But yeah, um, I've been leading worship for about 22 years now, uh, full-time, and that was not my intended plan uh, when I was a kid. You know, when you're growing up, you're not exactly sure what you want to do. If you had, if you had asked me at different stages of my growing up what I was going to do uh, for employment when I became an adult, it would have probably varied from being a stuntman or uh, <laughs> awesome. a professional wrestler. Or, or when I really got serious and I got into high school, I was, I was dead certain that I was going to be a professional basketball player. That was, that was, uh, that's the joy of this podcast. You can't see me, but I'm just a short white dude. Uh, but, so, but you play a mean game of hoops. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But, uh, but those were my choices when I was a kid. Well, you know, I just, I, I, I didn't really have a, a plan. I wasn't sure what God had called me to. Um, I grew up in a really strong Christian home. Both parents were very firm believers, just followers of Christ. Uh, both sets of grandparents were super strong believers. And uh, they had huge influences on my brother and I as well. And so from my earliest memory, I just remember Jesus. You know, I was always in church and always being taught the Bible. Uh, it didn't take me long. I was seven when I realized, I was like, hey, I need to make this decision for myself. I need to trust in Christ to forgive me of my sins. That's when I placed my faith in Him. Uh, I was a pretty good kid growing up. I was always in youth group. Didn't really get into too much trouble. Just some mischievous stuff with my brother, which I blame him for everything. Uh, all the scars on my body, pretty much from something my brother has done. Or He's dared, older? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Or dared me to do. Uh, but I didn't really have a deep walk with the Lord. I'd go to youth camp and different things like that. Um, but to me... Christianity was still not something that I was, th this walk with Jesus wasn't something I was cultivating on a daily basis. It was, it, at this point, it was still just something I went to. Oh, it's time to go to youth. Oh, it's time to go to Sunday school. Oh, it's time to go to big church. It's time to go to camp. Uh, I, I wasn't opposed to it. I just hadn't really learned, I guess, how to grow that faith mm -hmm. uh, on my own, how to develop that relationship with Christ. Also during that time, uh, I started to recognize gifts in music. Um, I, uh, my parents did too. We had a piano in our house, and I would hear stuff on TV 
or watching a movie, and then I'd go over to the piano and figure out how to play it. I just kind of had an ear for, for hearing stuff. And just to, just the tune or the yeah, backup chords? Well, well, at that time, just, just the tune and okay. things like that. It just started like that. And so my parents saw that, and they decided, they were like, hey, you know, he has a gift. Let's, let's get you some lessons. And so they hired our pianist at church to come give me lessons. Sweet, wonderful lady. God bless her. Uh, she came and gave me lessons for about a week, and our piano sat right next to our back door, and right out our back door was a little bit of pavement and a basketball goal. And every time I would take my lessons, my brother would be outside shooting hoops and just kind of looking at me like, eh, sucker, you know, you're in the... Uh, and I just hated it. I, I would just look out the window and just think, man, I wish I was outside with him, you know, shooting baskets. And so after a week, I just quit. I said, no, I'm not doing this again. This is, this is stupid. I'd rather go outside and play basketball. All this, all this anxiety lasted just seven days. Oh, yeah, it was terrible. You know, it, it scarred you for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I did not persevere. Um, it, now, coupled with that, I mean, those piano lessons really were just about me being a lazy kid and rather playing basketball than devoting time to piano. But at the same time, uh, my father, who, he was a part-time music minister at our church. Mm -hmm. uh, he was an engineer by day, but he had a huge love for music and uh, served at our church, did, you know, led choir, led youth choir, all these different things. And consequently, my brother and I, uh, were kind of thrust into music. You know, if my dad needed somebody to sing a special music on a certain night and he didn't have anybody, well, we automatically got volunteered. Mm -hmm. My brother was much more outgoing than I was. I was very introverted. And I hated being in front of people. Hated it. Um, but he would thrust us up there. And as long as I was with my brother, it was okay. But uh, I still didn't really enjoy it. And so he kind of, he, he wanted us to very much be like him. Which now being a father, I, I, I get it. You want to connect with your, your kids on, on things. But the main problem was that uh, we just did not have a good relationship with my dad. Mm -hmm. uh, he professed to be a Christian. I believe that he was, but he would say one thing at church in front of people, but he would live it out differently at home. Or, or uh, he, he was just kind of a hard man. He was, he was very beyond strict. I mean, it was really, you know, to the point of... Abuse, and we just had a really difficult relationship with him. There wasn't much of a relationship there, other than just kind of this authority figure that uh, that we feared. And so, consequently, um, you know, we didn't want to be anything like him. Yeah. If, if if I saw something in me, or if somebody would say, "Oh, you have this skill or this gift, just like your dad," yeah. oh, I would just cringe at that thought. I was like, "Well, I don't want to be like him," because uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to make those choices that he's made or, or do those things that he's made. So, you know, if somebody would point out a, a trait that I had of my father's, I would reject that and say, well, I guess I'm not going to do that anymore. And my dad was not a great athlete, and so that's why, maybe that's why I was drawn more to sports and basketball. And well, I'll do this. This is way different mm -hmm. than my dad. Um, when I was 16, uh, my brother was 17. My dad told my mom he wanted a divorce, and uh, it was just this terrible, terrible thing. You know, even though we had a poor relationship with him, we didn't want that to happen. We didn't want our family to go through that, especially our mom. Um, and so that just kind of solidified everything uh, of 
I just absolutely don't want to be like you or at this point anything to do with you. Yeah. Um, and that was a really tough season to go through and, and being 16 years old, you know, it's hard for any kid to mm-hmm. go through a divorce, but when you're six or seven, you might not really understand everything that's going on. Well, if you're 16 and 17, you know exactly what's going on. You, you understand, which I think makes it even more difficult to to cope with, mm-hmm. you know, and, and saying, but you've taught us all these things about Jesus and about the Bible. You've said all these things, but now you're making this decision here. How do I reconcile that with my faith, with somebody who's just talking all these things and living something completely different. Now, I will say this. My mother, just an incredible woman, uh, was very encouraging in our faith. And she was so broken at that time, just so broken. Um, But she gathered my brother and I, and uh, every morning before school during that season, we'd just get on the floor and read the Bible and pray together. and I couldn't help but think, like, man, I wish we'd have done this when we were all four here together. That would have probably been a good idea. But um, through that time, I, I could see where people going through a situation like that would turn for Christ and yeah. reject Christ. And that wasn't that wasn't us at all. We, we just dug in. And, and I give credit to my mom for that, for modeling that. Um, we didn't turn from our faith. It wasn't, just, it, it wasn't anything at all where we were angry at God. And shook our fist at him. Just quite the opposite. We just said, God, you're basically all we have. I don't really know how we're going to get through this, so we're digging into you um, to get us through that. So, those are my upbringing years, my high school years. Um, when I got to college, my very freshman year of college, uh, and by this time, a few years had passed since that divorce, and we had, or I had begun to build, build a relationship with my dad again. Um, had forgiven him and started cultivating a relationship with him. When I got to college, my freshman year of college, I felt like God told me to buy a guitar. And I had no idea why. I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I liked music, but at that point I was still playing a lot of basketball and um, I, I just couldn't shake this feeling of, no, you need to go buy a guitar. You've never, you've never picked up a guitar? No. At this point? Never, never. Not fascinated with it or no, no? not at wow. all. Not at all. Uh, no. No, and this was, you know, this was, they seem much more prevalent nowadays in youth groups and Mm -hmm. and things like that. Man, not in our youth group. I mean, not back in the 80s, early 90s. It just wasn't the thing at all. And no, I'd never, ever, ever played guitar. Um, I had a grandfather who played, and I always thought it was kind of cool, and he did, but I'd never tried it. It just seemed really difficult, but I felt like God said buy the guitar. So when I was 19, I went to a pawn shop. I was in College Station, Texas, and I bought a $150 pawn shop guitar, uh, which to me at the time, I was like, man, that's really expensive. Well, being a musician, professional musician now, you look back and you just kind of laugh. I was like, man, that thing was a piece of junk. Uh, but I still have it hanging on my wall. I have a Sears Roebuck guitar, okay? Yeah, no, no, no. Um, so I bought a guitar, and I bought this really thick book uh, of chords and everything else guitar like how to how to play guitar and then this is long before the days of YouTube I tell people all the time now when they ask me hey show me something on guitar I'm just like man look it up on YouTube there's all the free lessons in the world you can have but we didn't have that back then in the early 90s it, I, I had to sit in my room and, and I wasn't gonna go get lessons because I didn't really know how dedicated I was <clears throat> but 
I just sat there and tried to teach myself to play guitar, you know, things like Hotel California and some Eric Clapton and just whatever else I would hear on the radio at the time. And it was really hard, but at the time it became this therapeutic mm -hmm. thing, I guess. When I really started learning how to actually make some chords and make some music, uh, man, I really enjoyed it. I was like, this is, this is really nice. I like this. This is kind of a good release to, you know, you're out there on the basketball court or, or playing football or whatever, and it's this intense competition. You're slamming into people. You've just you've got all this adrenaline. Well, then music, it's just kind of the opposite for me. It's just kind of this nice, soothing, therapeutic, creative way to express yourself. Mm. If I had done that for the rest of my life, just sat in my room and played guitar, I'd have been fine with that. that that's really kind of what I thought I was going to do. I had no aspirations to do anything other than that. Uh, you know, my family for birthdays and Christmas, they would buy me these music books of, you know, hey, here's Elton John's greatest hits or whatever. <laughs> you know, or whatever. That was a bad example, but I do think I have that. Uh, just different things like that. They were like, hey, Demi likes music now. We'll get him some guitar stuff. So you would have been happy to be LeBron by day, La Bamba by <laughs> night, right? Did you just say La Bamba? That's La terrible. Bamba. That's terrible. Um, yeah, something like that. We are in Texas, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was enough for me. Uh, then I, uh, I was in college at the time. I went to Blinn Junior College for a few years. I actually went to a junior college for two and a half years, and it was only a two-year school, so go figure. But uh, then I transferred to Sam Houston State in Huntsville. And uh, with all this, th there was still this ongoing, growing relationship in the Lord. I had this relationship with the Lord that I still, uh, it, it really was still just in its infancy, I think. It just had not been cultivated very deep. Um, I had faith in the Lord, but it just it wasn't growing very much. Well, when I got to Sam Houston, uh, I started attending a college Bible study there. Uh, real small. It was in a, uh, a living room of a college pastor at this church that I was invited to by a friend. And um, we went there for a couple weeks. Uh, you're laughing. Did you want to ask me something? No. No, okay. I know where this story's going. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, so I'm smiling. Okay. Um, this is, this is a, yeah, okay. a wonderful touch. All right. Um, so I'm at this Bible study. It's in the summer, summer of 1998. Uh, and one week after the end of the Bible study, the, the college leader, his name was Bert, I love him to death, wonderful man, Bert Lyle, uh, he said, hey, next week, uh, he said, we, we want to sing some songs. We just don't want to, he said, I'm sick of just teaching. We want to worship and sing. You know, we don't need an instrument to do that, but it would help. He said, hey, does anybody play guitar? And well, I wasn't going to say anything because you know, I'm sure they didn't want to hear Hotel California or the Eagles' greatest hits. It played really poorly on my cheap $150 pawn shop guitar. Uh, so I wasn't going to say anything. Uh, but my roommate at the time, his name is Ken, Ken Holland, uh, he just pipes up. He's like, well, Denby will bring it. Denby plays guitar. And I, I just hit him. I'm like, Ken, shut up. I'm like, man, I'm... I barely play in front of you. I'm not playing in front of all these people. And, uh, and they just wouldn't let me out of it. Bert was like, well, that's great. Bring it next next week. You can play some songs for us. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I go home, figure out a couple worship songs, you know, just something easy. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary or something like that. 
and I get back that next week and we come to Bible study. My roommate Ken is all excited. I'm sweating bullets, you know, for these 20 people. And, uh, and I went up to the leader, Burke, and I told him, I said, look, I said, I know, I don't play in front of people. I said, so the only way I'm doing this, I said, I only brought this stupid guitar because Ken made me, uh, but the only way I'm playing these songs, if I can sit behind this, this couch and, and some people don't see me, uh, I just, you know, I, I didn't want to be in front of people. I experienced that with my dad thrusting me on this stage, you know. Uh, hated it. And that was my smile, because I've known this, you've told me this. Yeah. You know? and, and I picture you behind the couch <laughs> starting. But how many hundreds of teenagers, students, did you share with this summer? No, I don't know. A lot. You know, it's just amazing yeah, how God takes humble yeah. beginnings. Well, I, believe me, I laughed at it still. Yeah. I laughed at it still. But, so I, I get behind this couch, and I play these two songs, and everybody's singing. Uh, and I thought I did terrible. I'm pretty sure I messed up quite a bit. And I get to the end of it, and I'm just like, thank you, Lord. This is over. Praise God. And Bert comes up to me. He's like, man, that was awesome. Bring it next week. Uh, and I was like, what? I was like, is, is that how this? I thought this is a one-time deal. What are you kidding me? Uh, so I bring it again the next week, and I'm like, man, I guess i got to learn some two songs. You know? uh, and by that time, my roommate Ken and I, we had started really getting into worship music, and there was this big, huge movement in College Station at the time called Breakaway Ministries at A&M, and they were having thousands of people gather each week, and they recorded albums. My friend Ross King, who you've interviewed on this podcast, yeah. was one of those worship leaders there at the beginning, wrote great songs, and uh, we, would, we, would, we wore those CDs out. And so I basically just learned those couple of breakaway CDs from front to back. Uh, I mean, every single worship, and I'd play them in order too. Mm -hmm. You might as well just play the CD. <laughs> uh, but like, we would lead worship at this Bible study. We just play them track one all the way to track twelve or whatever. <laughs> uh, and uh, so that summer, I, you know, every week I would just start playing at this Bible study, and this Bible study grew from twenty people to one hundred and fifty people. And let me let me say this at the beginning, not because of my lousy guitar playing. <laughs> Or, or very inexperienced worship leading. It was just God was doing something there in Houston. Uh, we went from meeting at my friend Bert's living room to he had a barber shop downtown. He's a barber by trade. And he had a barber shop downtown called The Facemaker, Huntsville, Texas. Hmm. And we would meet upstairs in his barber shop. And so many kids started coming that he started knocking out walls and, and just to make more room for, for people. It was just awesome. And so the, there was like a year and a half where there was just a revival happening on the campus of Sam Houston back in that summer, fall 98, spring of 99, that kind of thing. Set a lot of groundwork for what God is still doing there now. And so, um, so yeah, so I kept leading worship there at that, at that Bible study. And then occasionally at this church in Huntsville there, University Heights Baptist Church that I was attending. And they, uh, God was just doing something with tons of college kids. And so they had like a whole college Sunday where they just let college kids run the whole service. You know, they would preach and do all the music and all kinds of other things. Well, it was during that service that um, I vividly heard the Lord. I, I really only heard Him I guess you'd say audibly, like in my head. I've only heard him directly speak to me just a few times. Mm -hmm. But this was one of those times where, I mean, it was like he was rattling around inside my head. He just said, uh, it was in the middle of leading worship, leading a song, and I don't remember what song it was, but I just remember hearing this voice that said, hey, this is what I've created you to do, and this is what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. 
this is what you're going to do. Uh, and I just remember thinking, uh, can you do this for a living? Are you sure? What? what? Is, wait, you mean this right here? Like a John lead worship? Is this what you're talking about, Lord? Uh, and, and But there was still a peace within me that just said, okay, this is what you want me to do. This is what I'll do. Uh, and, and so there's there's a lot of things that happened after that, just God putting different mentors in my life to help cultivate those gifts. But really what needed to happen more than anything was, was me getting to a place of reconciliation that, hey, I might do the same thing as my dad, uh, even, though the, even though that wasn't his full-time vocation, but just still just, just leading people in worship. I can do the same thing as my dad because... And I inherited some good gifts from my dad, some good musical uh, qualities from my father. Um, but I didn't have to make the same decisions that he made. And it just took me a while to reconcile that. And um, I don't have to go down that same path. Uh, and I, I've made my own mistakes. I don't mean, I'm not trying to bash my father here. But I would just look at it. It just took a long time for me to, to say, hey, I, I, can, I can do this. Um, what God has called me to do, and, and not, you know, also make these other decisions. Yeah. So. It's interesting how sometimes we have to have a moment of reconciliation with ourselves <clears throat> that strengthens our reconciliation oh, with yeah, others. Yeah, and and it took it took it took um, it took a lot of time for me to get to that place. It took a lot of different godly men and women. Uh, just encouraging me in that and it took a lot of healing within me and my dad's relationship and I want to say this uh, my dad and I are in a great place right now I mean I talk to him every week mm-hmm. uh, he lives in North Carolina which is far from Texas but he you know we visit at least once a year uh, and, and so there's been all kinds of healing you know there the, the, the past is the past and uh, I don't hang on to any of that anymore it is it's part of my story mm-hmm. and it's part of how God has uh, part of how I've gotten to where I'm at now, no doubt. Um, but there's been complete healing and restoration and reconciliation there uh, with he and I. And uh, yeah, it's wonderful. I praise praise God for it. As I was preparing for our podcast and as I was on the plane last night coming from Alabama to Texas, um, I had these thoughts, you know, and I write notes so I don't forget. And and I wrote down, I said the parent-child relationship is an interesting dynamic. Uh, It's one that we don't talk about, especially when the child becomes an adult enough. We start out thinking, you know, these beings, our parents, are perfect or they represent, you know, I mean, the whole, especially with the father, our first image of a heavenly father, you know, is there in our dad. We think of them, you know, they're they're Superman, Superwoman. Yeah. They're perfect, and it turns out they're just as flawed as we are. And it takes a while for us to permit the Holy Spirit to get our he- heads wrapped around all of that broken reality. Uh, especially, you're not only dealing with that dynamic; you're also dealing with. You were 16 years of age at the time, and so you know, adolescence in and of itself is that time where you're challenging everything. You're, why is the big question so and there's a lot there to to deal with you have allowed god's spirit to to lead you through that you know tender-hearted sensitive and uh, as you said 
restoration, reconciliation, there's a redemption there. So many get hung up on these things and are still hung up yeah, to I, this day. You know, I thank God for that. I don't. It's only by God's grace that uh, He has allowed me to have reconciliation, obviously, but also I, I could have easily turned and ran from God. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that I did to keep that from happening. That, that's totally just God wrapping his arms around me at a time of vulnerability, I think, and just saying, I'll protect you through this. And, and where, where you're weak, I'm going to carry you. Because it, I, I had nothing. There was, yeah, I just can't emphasize that enough. There's absolutely nothing that I did to keep this relationship going. It was just all the Lord and, and his goodness towards me. And him just saying, hey, I have a plan for you. And... I'll carry you when you're weak, and, and, and when you've decided to quit walking, I'll just keep carrying you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's that's really the only way I've gotten to where I am right now. Yeah. It's beautiful. I think the lunch crowd is, is getting here in full swing. Uh, Dude, City Market's the yeah. place. I, I was going to ask you to share two stories, and one of them you've already hit on about playing behind the couch. <laughs> the other one is your name. You have a very unique oh. name. How'd you get your name, Denby? So my name is Denby. Hopefully on this podcast, if you're listening to it, you'll see a spelling of it, a correct spelling. Uh, Robert has known me long enough to know how to spell it correctly. Uh, it, my mother, God bless her, uh, really wanted her sons to have unique names. Uh, that was another funny thing about my dad. Uh, when my older brother came along, uh, my dad wanted to name my older brother after him and uh, my mom was like well no you know, let's, I want to name him something different so my older brother's name is Bryce B-R-I-C-E and that's not terribly unique probably back in the early 70s it wasn't as common as it might yeah. be now uh, and then when my mom was pregnant with me again my dad was like hey let's name this one after me and my mom was like no this one's going to be different too let's have a unique name and so she, she knew she wanted to name me something different and unique she just wasn't sure what it was uh, so all during her pregnancy, she kept looking for, waiting, I guess, for a sign uh, or, or whatever. To, what is this name going to be? Yeah, you're laughing now. <laughs> you know the story. So my mom and dad, they were on vacation uh, in Newport News, Virginia. They didn't live there. They were just visiting some friends or somebody there. And in Newport News, Virginia, uh, she saw this street sign that said Denby Boulevard. And as soon as she saw it, she said, that's it. That's it, Denby Boulevard. And my dad was like, wait, what? You want to name him after a street? And she was like, yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, and so I guess she, you know, obviously she had her uh, her way. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, they, there's a picture of me. I got to go back when I was two years old. I don't remember this, but I, there's a picture of me on my uncle's shoulders next to that sign. Uh, uncle who I love has since passed away. Uh, but I love that picture. And I've come to find out, I've actually met some people from that area, and there's not just a street sign, there's a whole little community. Really? Like, like a Denby Christian school, and you know, a Denby shopping mall, or whatever. So I've always wanted to go back. I've traveled all over the country, in different in different countries, but I've never been back to Newport News, Virginia. And I just want to go back and be like, hey, I'm back. Yeah. You guys want to vote me in for mayor, or what? You know? I was named for your place. <laughs> so, and well, here's an interesting thing, too, about the name. As I got older, I started getting into genealogy, and then also, also looking 
looking up names, like what names mean. I, I think we really got into this when my wife and I were picking out names for our children. We wanted to have names with meaning. So I actually looked up the meaning of my name. It's, it's from a street sign in Virginia, but the origins go deeper than that. It's actually Welsh, and it actually means little fortress. And so I just thought that was kind of cool. Not a big fortress, but a little fortress. Yeah. And so I was like, well, that's, that's like, kind of cool. Like a guard on the basketball court. <laughs> Maybe. But you need two of them. That's not what I was thinking at all. <laughs> But thank you for that. You're welcome. Yes. Trying to bring the basketball back. <laughs> you write some great songs. One of my favorite. Uh, I have not seen what I believe. I mean, it's just a, just a driving rock rhythm to that. But my personal favorite. Uh, Back in 2011, the first part of 2013, I went through an incredible broken season, and you were a friend that walked with me during that season. I have five guys and their wives who were there, and I will never forget you for that. Uh, you sent me a brand new song. You're working on a concept album, Spiritual Warfare Anthology, and I, I'd just been studying uh, this was early in 2011 that passage from 2nd Chronicles 20 where King Jehoshaphat learns the enemy's coming they're, they're, they're greatly outnumbered and God sends a prophet to speak to Jehoshaphat and say you will not have to fight this battle this battle does not belong to you and we had a conversation you know, I shared that with you and you said hey I just wrote this song and that's and you sent me the raw cut of my praise to you. And the chorus, my praise to you and for you alone, will be my defense against my enemies. I will not attempt to fight for myself, but lift up my hands and wait for your rescue. That song, that prayer, over and over again listening to that, ministered to me at a time when I needed it. It's even ministered to me here within the last few months uh, as other challenges come along. Um, and that's the power of a song. You know, I, I, you never know how God is using something that He's given you and, and how deeply He's using it in other people's lives. Do you have a song of significant impact to, to you? Oh my goodness, yeah. I mean, I know you write these songs and the songs in and of your songs may be of significant impact. No. Obviously, they are because you flow from your heart. Well, yeah, but, but I, I, if I don't like most songs that I write, uh, if that makes any sense at all. Like, We're all our wor own worst critic. Yes, that's, that's what I mean by that. And I, it's funny, I, you just quoted those lyrics and I had trouble even remembering them because I just don't really revisit those songs or I, you know no artist likes listening to themselves no. uh, but yeah music has played a huge impact uh, in every aspect of my life but there's one song that I think might sum up a whole lot of me it would be uh, Don Henley a song called The Heart of the Matter and it just speaks about forgiveness. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all about it's all about forgiveness and reconciliation. And and that and that particular song is more about like a romantic relationship, and reconciling that. But to me, it just goes back to at some point in every human relationship, there's going to be 
struggle, turmoil, or, or friction. Mm -hmm. And how do we get through that? How do we do we just stop the relationship? Do we just say, well, if there's, you know, if I can't have a, a perfect relationship, then you know, I'll cast this relationship aside. Uh, I, I think what we need to look at instead is. No, there, there needs to be growth in the relationship. It's about forgiving one another. It's about reconciliation. It's about uh, unconditional love. Mm -hmm. So that, that's that's one particular song that's really meant a lot to me over the years. It's not, you know, you're not going to hear that on Christian radio or K-Love or whatever, but uh, I don't really listen to a lot of Christian radio. So. Some of the best songs are, you know, are uh, not that I mean some of the best to me the best Christian lyrics are secular songs yeah. you know because the best love songs are songs that God could sing to us yeah. or we could sing to sure. God about no that doubt. special love relationship in I realize in, in doing this podcast, there's going to be some of my guests where we're going to have multiple times as I told you on the drive here today. God willing, I hope I'm. I hope there's a thousand conversations I get to be does, a part of. Does that mean we get to go to different cool places to eat too? Because yeah, it all does. About that. Yeah, you're all about the food. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm. I'm looking forward to in a few nights uh, to uh, be sitting down with your lovely wife yeah. Stephanie, and there's so much to talk to. You know, maybe sometime in the future, talk to both of you together because one of the things y'all do, and you have done this since I've known you. Y'all model what I believe following Jesus ought to look like. There are so many cookie-cutter versions out there of this is what a disciple looks like, and you do these three, four, you know, five things, and it's all this way. And y'all have not, you know, to me, that's static. Following Jesus ought to be as creative as the Creator, the, the way He created us, the way He's still creating the beauty that surrounds us, and y'all do that so well. Um, without delving into this very deeply, y'all, y'all, you know, your worship ministry, her ministry, looking forward to talking to her in a few nights about what God is doing in her life. But y'all have a, a, a house, a home called Gomer's House, which, which is a retreat for the broken, the, the anybody who needs a retreat, spiritual time with the Lord. I have, when y'all did that, purchased the house, I was, you know, applauding it, and then I, I became, myself became a recipient of y'all's grace through that. I hung out at your place, uh, I don't know how long. Uh, long enough, you're probably like, I wish you'd go. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but, you know, just... Uh, Redemption would be your main flavor, and I, and I watch you. You know, hear about your, your story with your father, uh, that family dynamic, and I watch you as a husband, as a father, and it's just always such a beautiful, encouraging uh, joy to watch. You know, God at work in you. Uh, I've not asked this question of anybody yet at Redemption's table, but we've shared meals. We're sharing one today. What does table mean to you? What does table mean to you? And I'm thinking about it in terms of home. It's, it's intimacy. 
to me, it's, you know, it's where real life happens. No, I think if we had more people sit at our tables, uh, we might see uh, we might see the gospel be more impactful. Not not that the gospel is not impactful. It's not what I mean, but you know, you don't have to go door to door and knock on people's door and tell them about Jesus. Mm -hmm. I bet you just bring them over to your dining room table and sit down with them and eat with them. Uh, I guess that's kind of how we look at it. Mm -hmm. is, is when we sit down and share a meal together, uh, there's something incredibly intimate about that. And um, people get vulnerable when you invite them and, and sit down and share a meal together. Or... I don't know, it's just hard to fake things when you're sitting down with the, at a meal. I guess you can, but uh, it's hard to do that. And so, to, to me, I don't know, I've never really been asked that question, so it's hard for me to cultivate a great in-depth answer, but uh, it's just where real life happens. You, you know, we, we make it a point in our house to have family meals together at least once a day but at the very least you know we're hoping four or five nights a week mm -hmm. I see so many families that will just burn the candle at both ends and you know, the kids will go eat dinner in one room parents in another I just can't comprehend that I, I need to be with my family and uh, let's, let's share a meal together let's talk about life together and life is busy enough we don't need to make those meals at those tables but let's not skimp out on that either let's yeah. at least have that so to me being at a table together with either your family or loved ones or just people you're trying to get to know uh, yeah it's just where real life happens yeah one of my favorite meals at your table because it went on for so long uh, <laughs> when I was there for a couple of Oh. Yeah, nightly. No, I thought wait. you meant like there was a meal that was, was really a, long. Yeah, the meal that went lasted <laughs> forever. Um, coming nightly, and we would sit down upstairs on the second floor of Gomer's house. Yeah, that was before house. we had heat downstairs. Yeah, so we had to eat upstairs. But here goes the train. <laughs> we have a train going by. Uh, sit, summer sausage, crackers, and cheese. That was not dinner. That was after dinner. But we were still <laughs> gathered around the table. Yeah, and. Uh, Y'all were doing things. Yeah, with please, yeah, please clarify. That's not what we served for dinner. We're not, you know, we, we actually can serve a balanced meal if you come visit. <laughs> this conversation can go on and on. Cause we, I mean, yeah. and it will even after I shut this off today. We got so much history and uh, so much we could talk about. So many different ways this could go. I want to ask you one final question. Okay. Um, and this is kind of a, a future question. Where do you hope to be in 10 years from now? God willing. Uh, you know, I know uh, you're, you've got a young family, three beautiful children, beautiful wife. Uh, you know, and you're, how old is your oldest? She's 12. She's 12, okay. My middle is eight, my youngest is six, almost seven. I love all three of your girls. Yeah, they're they're precious. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Okay, this is going to be a really cheesy 
cookie-cutter Bible answer, but... Jesus? Well, <laughs> no, I, honestly, just hopefully, prayerfully, following whatever God has said, hey, here's what I want you to do next. Our whole lives, I guess my whole life, and then my wife and I being married, our whole journey together has just been one kind of faith step after another. And I know it's like that for a lot of people. It's not unique, just to us. But we really, God has really done a lot of just interesting things, particularly since we've been married. We've been married 16, yeah, 16 years this next month. And God just does crazy things. He presents these things before us. He says, hey, this is where I'm steering the ship. You guys on board? And we've just learned to try to say, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we're on board with that, Lord. We'll, we'll follow you. We don't know where the ship's going. We'll get on there with you. And Because if you'd have asked me 10 years ago, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I, I would never have realized, you know, being in this big 100-year-old house, you know, having thousands and thousands of people come and visit you. And, man, I'm an introvert. I, I just, I'd rather be by myself. Yeah. Uh, but God has, you know, that's just one of the things God has called us to do. Um, and so I say that, like, however the Lord steers us. And he's already, honestly, he's, he's kind of reshaping a few things in our ministry. My wife is doing uh, a few more outreach things, whereas before we had people come to our house all the time. Well, we still do. We still do, but it's, it's kind of scaled back a little bit, and now it's a little bit more of an outreach ministry. My wife is taking regular trips uh, to Haiti to minister to uh, orphans and also some of the, the women there. Uh, we do work with Church Under the Bridge, uh, different homeless ministries and all kinds of things like that. Uh, in addition to still leading worship and then also things with our church there in New Braunfels. If you do want a little bit more of a defined answer, I can give you this. Uh, just when the, within the last year and a half, uh, particularly at my church, uh, my pastor has given me the opportunity to preach uh, there uh, five or six times. And um, I could definitely see, again, it's not something I ever really was desiring to do, but I, I could definitely see uh, maybe a little bit more of that mm -hmm. possibly happen in the future. But. Um, as far as like, man, I don't have like a goal or, or like a finish line. Like, hey, for 10 years from now, man, I sure hope I'm right here. Man, I, I just have no idea. But I, I, I hope we're just following the Lord. And I hope that my children are growing in Him. And gosh, I guess by 10 years, one of them could possibly be married. I don't really know. Uh, I just hope my children are following the Lord passionately and cultivating their own faith. Um, I guess that's the best answer I can give. That's a good answer. Okay. That's a good answer. I think that that spirit got you, has y'all where y'all are today. So, a question I didn't ask that you were like, man, I wish you would ask that question. I wish you'd ask me my favorite Avenger. So. <laughs> Who's your favorite Avenger? 
because here we go from the deep to the really shallow real quick. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. They were all kind of, I mean, Iron Man, you know, he's kind of sassy. I, I, I like him. Uh, okay, I'll give you one that's pretty cool, The Incredible Hulk. Uh, and I say that because of this. Uh, I'll just tell you a super quick funny story. I was a good kid growing up, but man, I was mischievous. And I would just do crazy things. And uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a TV show on Friday night that would come on, The Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Remember that? Real old school. Yeah. yeah. Old school. Came on right after Dukes of Hazzard. Uh, and so my brother and I religiously would watch that every Friday night. And so uh, there were times where I was like, man, I think I'm the Hulk. I'm pretty sure I'm, I might be the Hulk. And I would flex. All, you know, I'm like six, seven years old. Uh, and I would just flex all the time. I can't believe we're saying this now on the podcast. Well, one day I was, we lived in Houston, Texas, and I was shopping with my mom. We were walking through a parking lot of some department store or whatever. Just she and I walking, holding hands. And all of a sudden, a car starts driving down a parking lot like they do. And I jumped out in front of it and started flexing. It just went, kind of like the Hulk. Uh, and of course, it slams on its brakes. And it doesn't hit me. It doesn't hit me. And so my mom grabs me. She's screaming at me. And uh, she's like, what are you doing? What are you, we don't jump in front of cars. And I just told her. I was like, I'm the Hulk. It's like, I made that car stop. So anyways, I can always... Uh, I guess the Hulk. Let's say the Hulk. Okay. Can you please make sure and edit that ridiculous? No, no that's going to go out there. I love that. I appreciate you, my friend. Appreciate I, we've got a half, or I've got a half link of sausage here. I'm going to finish up before we walk away from this table. Uh, thank you, those of you who are tuning in. Thank you for listening. Every Monday morning, we're right back here at this place, and you know it's our time when it's our uh, catchphrase party of redemption. Your table is now available. Then be sign us off. Thank you, my brother. I've had a great time with you. And uh, to all you listening, I hope you're blessed and encouraged by this. Lord bless you. Yeah, thank you, my friend. We have some sausage today. My <laughs> praise to you, for you alone will be my defense against my enemies. I will not attempt to fight for myself. But lift up my hands and wait for